Hey, what's up, Central? We want to welcome everyone that's watching right now. Thank you for connecting with us. Hey, let us know that you're watching with us. Give us a hello, a hi, an amen in the comments right now. And again, thank you for joining us. If you've got a Bible, Ruth chapter 1 is where we're going. And we're starting a brand new series today called Bouncing Forward. We're calling it that because we aren't moving back. We're moving forward. That's what we do at Central. Even though we've been going through a pandemic, we've been going through a time of quarantine, there's been a time where the church has been closed and we're reopening. We're not doing anything that's going backwards. We're doing everything to move forward. As the great theologian LL Cool J once said, don't call it a comeback. We've been here for years. Mama said knock you out, right? You you guys know that one? Comebacks. Comebacks are cool, though, right? We all love a good comeback story. The other day, I Googled greatest comeback ever, and I was thinking like a football game or a basketball game, like when Reggie Miller scored a bunch of points in a few seconds or, or, or Rocky or, or something. Um, but one of the clips, one of the first clips that came up on the list was the clip that you saw before I came up here. It was from a 2008 college track meet. There were four runners in the race, and they were running like the 600 meter. And and one of the girls, it was crazy. Like she was, I think she was favored to win. And they do the first lap, and and she's just kind of pacing it. They do the second lap, and and she's moving up. And, And they get to the last lap, the beginning of the last lap. And this girl had just taken the lead, and she fell down. Now, when I say fell down, she didn't just stumble. She didn't just trip over herself a little bit and completely fall down. I mean, she wiped out. And you can hear the announcers going, oh, this is horrible. This is awful. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. If this was me, I wouldn't have gotten back up. I'd have just laid there. I'd have pretended I was passed out or whatever. Like, I wouldn't have gotten back up at all whatsoever. But she immediately pops up, and she continues to run. And the announcers are like, oh, we're so proud of her. She's at least going to try to finish the race. But then something happens. Like, in the backstretch, she goes complete Forrest Gump, right? And, and she's catching up to the third-place runner. And, and, and then it's, it's crazy. In, like, the last turn, she's gaining on the first and second-place runners. And you can hear the crowd going wild. And they come down the final stretch. And at the very end, she surges forward. And she wins the race. It's mind-blowing. I watched it several times this week. I'm kind of getting excited about it right now. Because it's one of the greatest comebacks that I've ever seen. Because, see, in a track meet, when you fall on the last lap, Most people would give up, right? I I would. Would you? Like most people would just give up. And what I saw happening is what we're going to see in the book of Ruth. This is where we're going to be for the next several weeks in this series called Bouncing Forward. What we see in life and what I'm seeing in so many people's lives, to steal a line from, from Pastor Gary, is that a setback is actually a setup for a comeback. And, 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 and in Jesus, those comebacks are always huge breakthroughs. A setback is actually a setup for a comeback, which prepares us for a breakthrough. Because one of the things that we all have in common, every single person watching right now, whether you're a Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. The one thing that we all have in common, every one of us, is we've all fallen in a race. Now, maybe not in a real race, but we've all fallen in life. We've had a We've had a relational failure. We've had a moral failure. 
We've had a financial failure. We've had some sort of emotional thing go on in our lives. We've all fallen, and all of us have experienced, every single person knows what it's like in some capacity to experience a setback. Unfortunately, so many times, we'll let that setback keep us paralyzed in a position, in a paralyzed position for the rest of our lives. A setback is actually a setup for a comeback, which prepares us for a breakthrough. And we're going to begin to see this as we move in this series over the next several weeks. We're going to start here today in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. Here we go. The Bible says this. In the days when the judges ruled. Now let's stop right there for a second. The days when the judges ruled was a particular time in the period in the history of Israel that was crazy. In fact, right before the book of Ruth is the book of Judges. And in the book of Judges, in the very last verse, the book of Judges, Judges 21-25, the Bible says this. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And so right here, I mean, this is crazy. Right here, you've got spring break combined with Mardi Gras combined with just Just craziness. That's what's going on right here. People are losing their dang minds. There's no standards. There's no morals. They're just doing whatever they want to do. And and so the Bible says in those days, in those days when complete chaos was going on, in those days there was a famine in the land, which is pretty serious. God would often use famines to try to get the the nation of Israel's attention. He'd be like, hey, guys. You're turning your back on me, and so I'm going to allow a dry season to come in your life so that you'll turn your attention back on me. That, that's what's going on right here. The Bible goes on to say this. So a man from Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem literally means house of bread. House of bread. That's super important. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Now, this verse is loaded. Let me take a couple minutes to explain it. Bethlehem is symbolic in this text of where the people of God are. But where the people of God are, there was a famine going on. And so this guy, we're going to find out his name in just a second, this dude decides to take his family and go to Moab, which is about 40 miles away. Now Moab was a wicked place. In fact, the nation of Moab Moab got started because a man had sex with his daughter. And and so right there, that's that's a weird family gathering, right? This is your dad and your grandpa. I mean, it just this is weird, right? It's just weird, 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 weird. That's how Moab got started. It was a wicked place. It was a sinful place. The Israelites were told not to hang out with the Moabites. You couldn't marry Moabites. Because, but, because, but because this man is experiencing some famine. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because he is experiencing some famine, he turns his back on Bethlehem, which is a representation of God and the people of God, and he goes to Moab. He takes a a 40-mile journey, about a 7- to 10-day walk to Moab. This has happened in so many of our lives, right? Listen, anytime we go through a dry season, maybe we experience a setback. Anytime we experience a setback or we go through through a time of, of difficulty, we're tempted to turn our back on God and walk in a different direction. Because don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. If, if, if God is over here and Moab is over here, I can't walk towards Moab and keep my eyes on Jesus at the same time. Can I? 
If I'm walking towards Moab, I can't see Jesus. If I'm walking towards Moab, I can't keep and focus my eyes on Jesus. And that's what's going on right here in this text. Now, I'm not judging this guy. Because famine causes us to do and say some things we normally, ordinarily would not do, right? I mean, let's be honest. There have been some things that have happened in the last 8 to 10 weeks that have caused us to maybe do and say things that we normally wouldn't do, right? We, we are learning, or we've learned, or we've saw, we, we've kind of had a small little taste, a, a little vision, a little peek of what it's like to go through a famine. And so anytime we see somebody walking towards Moab, anytime we see somebody walking away from God, church is important for us to not be quick to judge because we don't know what they're going through. And instead of, instead of condemning them on the spot, we should care enough to at least find out what their story is. Just a thought. Let's keep reading. Verse 2 says this. This man's name was Elimelech. Now, Elimelech means God is my king. And I find it funny here that you got a, a, a guy whose name is God is my king who we see walking towards Moab. In other words, don't miss this. His name is God is my king, but he was living like God was not his king. And the reason i got to point this out, the reason I'm saying this is because many people, we call ourselves Christians and we still walk towards Moab. Just because we say, like, like, like listen, the myth is once you become a Christian, once you become a Christian, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Like you wake up in the morning and, and a leprechaun brings you lucky charms and you ride a unicorn into work and everyone at work gives you balloons and Tootsie Rolls and everything goes great, everything is awesome. But you know what? That's not my experience, and that's not most of your experiences, and that's not the experience of the people in the Bible. See, just because someone is a Christian doesn't mean that they're never going to experience a time of famine, and it doesn't mean that during that time of famine, we won't at least be tempted to turn our back on God and walk toward Moab. So you got Elimelech. Then you got a woman named Naomi. His wife is Naomi, and Naomi means sweetness or sweetheart you know anybody like that they just walk in the room and they brighten it up every man right now ought to be typing your wife's name into the thing like you ought to just say yes i do it's it's mary like like that's that's this girl that's naomi that's what's going on right here his wife is naomi the name of his two sons were malon and kilion now if you're looking for a baby name i would not recommend malon or kilion this is, this, is, this is going to be really important in a little while. But the literal translation of the names of these kids, Malon, the best translation is sick or sickness. And Kilion is dying. So sick and dying. How jacked up would that be to name your kids sick and dying? That, that would be like running into somebody today and, and me saying, Hi, my name is Ryan. This is my kid diabetes and this is my other kid cancer. They'd be like, oh, our kids can't hang out with your kids. They can't play with them. Sick and dying. Sick and dying. That's very important. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem. Once again, it mentions Bethlehem. They were Epaphrites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. So they went to a place. Don't miss this. They went to the place where God told them to stay away from. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now, I've got to stop and I've got to mention something right here. This is where some 
hyper-charismatic type people will say, that's what happens when you run away from God. You get killed. Well, not really. But I will say this. Anytime we turn our back on God and we walk towards Moab, something dies. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's joy. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's peace. I guarantee you purpose dies because we cannot connect to our purpose unless we're connected to the one who created us. And we can't connect to the one who created us while we're walking towards Moab. Anytime we walk away from God, something dies. And and I don't say that to scare you. I just kind of say that to point out the fact that, that when we walk away from God, something inside of us dies. When we walk from Bethlehem to Moab, something dies. It gets crazier. Watch this, verse 4. They married Moabite women. Stop. They were forbidden to do that in the Bible. Forbidden to do that. You don't marry Moabite women. They worship a false god. I mean, they were like, I can't even go into how bad that it was for these two boys. Malon and Kilion, they married Moabite women. It goes on to say this. One named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, can we all agree, at this point in the story, life sucked for Naomi. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She has no grandkids. This is what you would call a setback. I think we could all agree this is not where any of us want to be. I think we can all agree that Naomi never wanted to be in this spot. Now, two things I want to point out. Number one, it's no wonder that Malon and Kilion died because all their life, all that had been spoken over them was sickness and dying. And, and, and there's another message in this for another time But for all the parents watching this right now, let me say this to all the parents. The words that we speak to and about our kids really do matter to our kids. And so watch what you say. Watch how you say it. These two boys had sickness and death spoken over them their entire lives. No wonder they die five verses into the story. Watch what you say. The second thing that I want us to look at is how Naomi's life had fallen completely apart. And, and you know what? This is, where, this is where some people love to sit in the judgment seat. And these people would probably say, well, you know what? She got what she deserved. She walked away from Bethlehem. She went to Moab. She didn't just go for a visit. She stayed. She let her boys marry Moabite women. Her life was falling apart. She got exactly what she deserved. Listen, 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 listen. Don't miss this. We, we have two options as followers of Jesus when we look at somebody else's story. We can look at it through the lens of compassion or condemnation. And I believe with all my heart, that one of the reasons the church has become so marginalized in our country and in our community is because we're known more for our condemnation than our compassion. And I believe if we would be known more for our compassion rather than our condemnation, we would see a move of God sweep over this nation and through our community unlike anything that we've ever experienced in the history of the world. We've got to get off of the judgment seat and learn how to sit in the mercy seat. Because listen, listen, listen. Think about it like this. If you've ever taken your kid to a big-time sporting event, like an NBA game or an NFL football game, 
None of your kids on the way out have ever been like, Mom, Dad, can we stop at the gift shop on the way out? Sure, son, why? Because I want to get a referee jersey and a whistle and a flag because I love the referee. I love how the referee was always pointing out how everybody was doing everything wrong. I love how they stopped the game. I just love how they held up everything. Nobody loves the referee, right? Nobody wants that. But too many times... As followers of Jesus, we want to play the referee, and we don't understand the entire story, that there's something else going on in somebody else's life. In fact, we see this happen in the next verse. Watch this, verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return from there. Now let's talk about this. This is a miracle that Naomi could be in Moab and hear what God was doing in Bethlehem. Now, we wouldn't call this a miracle, but this was thousands of years ago. There was no media. There was no newspaper. There was no TV commercials. There were no cell phones. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. There was no Snapchat. It's a miracle that Naomi heard in Moab what God was doing in Bethlehem, that God was doing something in Bethlehem, and her heart was drawn. To go back home. I'm saying this for the person who might be listening right now that you think you're too far gone. Listen to me. If Naomi can live in Moab for 10 years and go about as far from God as you could go, and God gently starts calling her home, maybe that's the same thing He wants to do with everyone who's wandered away to Moab. He's like, you know what? Something, something great is going on here. Something cool is going on here. And I just want you to come home. I just want you to come back home. I just want you to come home. So she's going to take her daughters-in-law with her, which is a little bit problematic. We'll see that in a second. Verse 7. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Verse 8, watch this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. It's huge. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. And then she prays for them. Says this, may the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. In other words, don't miss this. Naomi spent time in Moab. She's going back to Bethlehem. But in that journey, she realizes something. See, sometimes when we've been somewhere that we shouldn't have been, we've done some stuff that that we shouldn't have done, we feel shame. We feel guilt. And automatically, we want to disassociate ourselves with everyone around us. Here's something. that this, This has been huge for me. This is something I've been learning over the last few weeks of quarantine. Solitude is awesome, but isolation is destructive, right? Solitude is awesome, but isolation is destructive. See, I love to have me time. I I love to be by myself, but left to myself, I can drift into destructive behavior if I stay there. We're going to talk about this in regards to to the church and staying away from church later on in the series is going to be cool. Uh, Because solitude is awesome, but isolation is destructive. 
That's huge on so many levels for us to get. Solitude is great. Solitude is awesome. Solitude, getting by yourself. But staying there, isolating ourselves, is destructive. You see, there's something that happens in this story that I'm praying happens in all of our lives. It says this, the Bible says this in verse 10. And said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home. In other words, she's trying to get rid of these girls. She don't, she don't want them around. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who, be, who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughter. She's, she's pretty insistent that she walk alone. I'm too old to have another husband, even if, even if, that, that's, that's huge. Even if I thought there was still hope for me. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Has she lost hope? At this point right here, has she lost hope, yes or no? Yes, absolutely. And I'm sure there's somebody out there who has lost hope. And if you're losing hope, man, I understand. I know, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be in that situation. See, in this story, in this moment right here, she had lost hope. See, Naomi had not read the book of Ruth. She doesn't know how the story ends. The story ends, the story's amazing. We know what it ends like, but she has no idea. She just knows that she's walking. And isn't it funny? You can be walking back towards God and still not have any hope in your life. We see that in this story. She says, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I have a husband tonight and then give birth to sons, would you wait until they grow up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. And then she says this, and don't miss this because we're going to see this word a lot. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She said, right now my life is bitter because God's hand has turned against me. Now hold up, once again, right here, the legalist, the person in the judgment seat, would, would say, well, actually God's hand hasn't turned against you. You did it to yourself, and you just got what you deserve. But at the end of the day, none of us really want what we deserve. Because watch what happens, verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Let me point this out because it's in the text, and, and I think it's important. In life, you're going to have some people that walk away from you, and you're going to have some people that stay with you. That's the way that it's going to be in your life. In your life, there are going to be people who walk away. And, and listen to me. You're going to have to let them walk away. You're going to have to let them go. Orpha is never mentioned again in this story. Right? If they're going to walk away, you have got to let them walk away. But then you're going to have people who stay. You're going to have people like Ruth that say, I'm not leaving you. I don't care how bad your situation gets. I don't care what you say. I don't care how big of a pity party you're going to have for yourself. I don't care how much of a victim you're going to play. I'm sticking with you through this entire thing. In fact, it goes on to say this. Listen, this is crazy. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Don't miss that. And her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, this is crazy. Look at this. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. 
right here, this is awesome. This is like a conversion experience. She's turning from her God in Moab to the God in Bethlehem, the one true God. Like, this is awesome. And then she says this, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Now let's talk about this for a minute. I remember there was a season in my life where I prayed for friends like that. God, send me friends like Ruth. God, send me friends that will stick with me no matter what. Send me friends who will love me no matter what. Send me friends who will hang with me no matter what. And I remember God speaking very clearly to me. Ryan, if you want friends like that, you have to become a friend like that. And the thing that God challenged me within this text is to be the friend that somebody can call at 2 o'clock in the morning when they're in trouble. And, and I go get them. And when I go get them, I don't give them, them a lecture. I just simply pick them up and bring them home. That, that's the kind of friend I want to be, a friend like Ruth. I don't want to be like Orpha, but, but that's another message for another time. Because, see, here's the deal with Naomi and Ruth. It, it gets more crazy. Look, look at this, verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. This is like the person that hadn't been to church in like 10 years. And they walk in and the people start talking and they get excited. The women explain, can this be Naomi? Now, does anybody remember what I told you Naomi's name meant? Anybody? Anyone? Plug that in. Put that in there. Sweetness or sweetheart, right? Right. And, and so they're like, oh, sweetheart, how are you doing? That's, that's probably what they're saying. They're, they're excited. Sweetheart, what's going on? How are you? Watch what she does. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Don't call me sweetheart. Don't you, don't, don't you call me sweetheart. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She changed her name. Mara, by, by the way, means bitter. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Look at her playing the victim card right here. You see that? Playing the victim card, blaming it on God. I went away full, which she didn't because there was a famine going on. But the past, sometimes we make ourselves look way better in the past than things and we actually were, right? I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Just real quick question, yes or no? Is she slightly ticked off at God right here? Yes. When you change your name from sweetheart to bitter, that's not good. Like if I met somebody today, if I went up to somebody and I said, hey, Frank, how you doing? And he said, my name's not Frank. My name is ticked off. You'd be like, okay, like, I don't know, man. Frank, obviously you're having a bad day. Here's the number of a guy you need to call. Like, th th this is crazy, right? But don't miss this because this is huge. The community that she steps back into and says, I'm bitter and I'm angry and God killed my husband and God killed my kids and she's angry. The, the community that she steps back into accepted her. They didn't try to correct her. They simply accepted her as she was. She didn't get a theological lecture. She didn't get a biblical lecture. And, and don't miss this, this is gigantic. And they accepted Ruth as well, which was crazy because Moabites technically weren't allowed to come into this place. And they both stepped into 
an accepting community. You know what? That's one of the visions of this church. It's no matter where you are in life, bitter, hurt, angry, confused, ticked off, that you can step in and be accepted. In fact, this is what the Bible says, and Paul says this in Romans um, chapter 12, verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Now, I'm just being honest, and I, I've, I've been in church world for a long time now. Um, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christians have that backwards. A lot of people, you, you've seen this, right? A lot of people, if you're rejoicing, they try to get you to mourn. I'm so happy you shouldn't be. You deserve hell. <laughs> All right, that's obviously why you don't have any friends. But Right? You, you've seen that. And if someone is mourning, you try to get them to rejoice. The Bible says when somebody is rejoicing, you rejoice with them. And when somebody is mourning, we mourn with them. That's what we see happening in this text. She shows up. She's hurting. She's bitter. She's broken. And the community accepts her in. Now, this is where some people are going to say, well, sometimes you have to speak truth into people's lives, Pastor. And you're right. Yes, hallelujah, amen. But the Bible says in John chapter 1 that Jesus came full of grace and truth. I was thinking about this the other day, and this really stood out to me. It's crazy in this text that grace is mentioned before truth right here. And the reason that stood out to me is I realized people, people typically won't accept our truth until we've shown them our grace, right? People typically won't accept our truth until we've shown them our grace. And for all the people that drop truth bombs, really? How much difference are you making in the kingdom of God? Grace and truth. And so she comes in, and, and I'm telling you, we'll, we'll get to it eventually. But the end of this story, this, uh, as we go through the next few weeks, man, Naomi, Ruth, like they experienced more life transformation than anything they could have ever imagined. And it all starts with them being honest, which, which th that's another thing. A lot of people in the church world, they, they can't feel like that they can be honest because if we're honest and we're really honest about how we feel and we re we're really honest about what's going on in our lives, we get rejected, we get excluded, we get kicked out. But I love the fact that she's honest. She's accepted grace and truth. And then the Bible says this in verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. That, that's huge. I can't wait to talk about that. By Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is gigantic. Because there's a famine. And now a harvest is coming. Are you sensing a, a theme here, church, as we enter our next season as a church? Are you sensing that? Are, are, you, are you seeing that? There was a famine. And now there's harvest. Let me wrap up like this. One of my favorite places to go, one of my favorite restaurants, and pe people ask me all the time, how much do they pay you to advertise? They don't pay me a dime. I just, I just love the restaurant. My favorite place to go um, is, a, is a place in downtown Carroll called Bordenero's. They, they have great food. They've got great meat. It's awesome. People ask me when I go there for lunch, they're like, what do you get when you go there? It doesn't matter. Whatever they got. They serve one thing a day. You just get what they got, and it's awesome. But when I walk in and I see the big glass case, and they've got those tomahawk steaks, and they've got those big porterhouses, man, I'm like face-to-face -face with sin right there, just to be honest with you. Like, I, I just am. And, and I, just, I just love, I love, I love going in there. 
One day, um, this has happened to me um, quite, a two, quite a few times since, um, but I'll never forget the first time that it happened. Tom, the owner, he came out, and he's like, you looking at the T-bone steak? And I said, yeah. And he said, hold on. I've got something in the back for you. In other words, he was telling me, instead of looking at what's in the case, I've got something in the back that's greater than anything in the case, and that is what I'm going to bring out to you. And I remember thinking, you are a good man. The favor of God is upon you, my friend. He brought me out that day. He brought me out this, this huge steak, and he told me how to cook it, and I went home, and I cooked it like he told me to, and, man, it changed my life. It was awesome. And I was thinking about that the other day in, in regards to this text. Because the way that this story turns out for Naomi and Ruth is greater than anything that they could have ever imagined. But what was prepared for them, don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this, what was prepared for them was hidden from them. They couldn't even see it. And the first step in their journey towards that immeasurably more than they could ever ask or imagine was simply deciding, I'm leaving Moab and I'm coming back home. I'm leaving Moab and I'm coming back home. And I'm telling you, for some people, you're listening, you're watching today, your harvest is about ready to come in. Your harvest, your harvest, your relational harvest, your emotional harvest, your financial harvest, you're getting ready to step out of a season of famine into harvest because that's what God wants for our lives. And I believe with all of my heart that that journey starts by us saying, yes, Lord, yes, I'll leave Moab. And I'll come back home. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your unconditional love. Your undeniable, unquestionable acceptance of us. Father, I pray for anybody who feels like they're in Moab, who feel like they've turned their back on you, that they started to walk away. I pray that they're just reminded today that at any time they can come back home. They can turn around and they can be honest with you. They can tell you, we we can tell you, God, how we feel because you can handle it. Right now, wherever you're watching from, heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're the person who says, today I, I need to come back from Moab. Maybe you're like in the beginning of this journey, you turned your back on Bethlehem and you're walking towards Moab. Maybe you've been in Moab. Maybe you've bought like a second home in Moab. And you're like, today, Jesus, I just want to start my journey back towards you. If that's true, you just tell them right now, right where you are. Just tell them. Right now, maybe you're watching and maybe you've never accepted Jesus in your life. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your life. You've never given your life to Jesus. In this story, we see Ruth. She literally gives her life to the Lord by saying, you're God will be my God. And maybe that's the decision that you need to make today to completely surrender. And listen, this is why I would tell you to give your life to Jesus because he wants more for your life than you want for your life. And so if that's you, you've never given your life to Jesus, just right where you're at, right where you're at, you can pray out loud, you can pray in your heart, you can just pray this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need saved. And so right now, Jesus, I confess you as Lord. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. And I believe you did that for me. And so right now, I ask you to come into my life 
Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my King. To be my Savior. All of me for all of you. Jesus, from this day forward, I promise the best of my ability to follow you every day for the rest of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know about it. Send us an email at info at yourcentralchurch.com. If you're watching online um, at Church Online, click the live prayer button. Let us know. Connect with us. We would love to get in touch with you and talk to you about next steps. Church, I love you. I want to thank you so much again for connecting with us today. Have an incredible week, and we'll see you next weekend.